Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram. You can find me at I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. Uh, the show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. That's at Patreon.com/slash I Love That Movie. And when you sign up, you do get a weekly bonus episode of just everything else I'm watching that week. Um, and we have a lot of fun on there. And I want to take a moment to thank my top patrons there, Philip Barker, Michael Cross, and Josh Johnson. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe and rate the show. Uh, it does help new listeners find us. I've got a returning voice on the podcast. I've got Cody House from Video Store Reject. Say hi, Cody. Hello podcast world and lisa thank you for having me back on the show it's always a pleasure to be here i know i feel like it's been a minute so i'm glad that you reached out and excited to to chat with you you've been on the show quite a few times and i've, I've been on your show as well i think you've got a great group of people over there and it's always a fun time um so if if this is our first time tuning in my guest actually select the movie so what movie cody did you choose to talk about today well because my birthday's coming up and it's possibly the biggest movie weekend of the year of 2023 with barbieheimer <laughs> coming out uh <laughs> i decided let's talk a christopher nolan movie and i chose one of the few that haven't been covered on this show and it's my second favorite Christopher Nolan movie, and that is wow. Memento, kind of his breakthrough movie, the one that basically put made him a name in the film world. Where yes, people were like, out... "Go ahead, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off." <laughs> a, you're okay. Basically, it's the movie that people are like, "Okay, I want to see what this guy does next." One hundred percent. This came out in 2000, and I remember it vividly because I was actually in high school at the time because I graduated in 02, and okay. I remember I was on a date with my high school boyfriend who was horrible, but that's neither here nor there, <laughs> um, and he selected this movie, and I had no idea what it was about. And oh, wow. I walked, yeah, no clue what it was going to be about. Walked in there, walked out a huge Nolan fan. Man, that's the way to do it. So, yeah, yeah I think this technically is a 2000 release as far as like when it debuted at a festival. But I think it got like wide distribution in 2001. 
Okay. Because I, that ma- that tracks. I mean, probably closer to when I was graduating. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I vividly remember this getting pushed on uh, Ebert and Roper. So I oh, was really? a I was a pretty avid Roger Ebert fan as a young film nerd and watched the syndicated show, I think, on Channel 8 because I don't think we it showed on the East Texas ABC. For whatever reason, we got both like Tyler, <laughs> Texas and Dallas-Fort Worth ABC. Okay. And so, yeah, I used to watch it at Siskel and Ebert, and then it became Ebert and Roper after Gene Siskel passed. And Richard Roper like just raved about this movie and I think named it his favorite film of 2001. And I was like, I got to see this movie. This is nothing I've ever heard of before or like executed this way. Of course, never played where I was living. I had to rent it on DVD. But uh, just like the protagonist in this movie, I was obsessed with this with this movie and watched it multiple, multiple times. And... You know, they make a joke sometimes like, you know, that you who had that college roommate that wouldn't shut up about Memento. That was me. <laughs> I I concur. I, I really, really, really liked this film. I think it's a pretty incredible debut movie for a, a, a new filmmaker. It's both written and directed by Christopher Nolan. And I didn't realize mm-hmm. until I was researching it that it was based on a short story written by his brother, Jonathan Nolan. Right. They were parents. So they have like, I don't know, like the backstory with his younger brother of his younger because his younger brother doesn't have an accent. Right. And I know oh, that Christopher Nolan has dual citizenship. Ah. Right, he's British and a U.S. citizen. For whatever reason, they were road tripping together from Chicago to Los Angeles. And they were talking about this story. And he's like, well, do you mind if I take that idea and make it into a feature length movie? And that's mm-hmm. kind of where it came from. So I know Nolan made a movie before this, but I didn't know about that movie's existence till after Memento. But that's like a very shoestring budget. And this this is actually, even though it's an independent movie, it's a pretty decent budget. And of course, he's got, you know, fairly recognizable, well-known actors in the movies. They're not A-listers, but they're, you know, if you watch enough movies, you know who all these characters are. For sure. And um, yeah, you know, if people are listening and you're worried about spoilers, I mean we're going to spoil this movie. So I I would definitely pause here and go watch it. (laughs) You should watch it anyway. But um, if you're still here, I'm going to give a quick synopsis of the film and then we're going to start really diving in. So that's your last warning. Uh, This movie memento is about Leonard who is tracking down a man who attacked and murdered his wife, but The difficulty he has locating his wife's killer is compounded by the fact that he suffers from a rare and untreatable form of memory loss. Although he can recall details of his life before his accident, he cannot remember what happened 15 minutes ago, where he's going, or why. So the unique thing about this movie is that it's kind of all out of order in a way because of the main character's perception. It's written from his point of view and it, it really is a great debut film to show the way that Christopher Nolan 
uh, uses like point of view and disorients his his viewers and has them go on the journey that his characters go on. It's it's basically a psychological thriller and probably one of my favorite movie genres. Absolutely, and this is this is a, a film noir as well because it's a it's yep. a gumshoe detective story, right? And uh, absolutely, what's brilliant about it, of course, you know, it, all the things shot in color is presented backwards, so we get the ending mm-hmm. at the beginning and the beginning at the end, and then that's right. the black and white sequences with Leonard talking on the phone or talking to himself. That's linear. And that's mm-hmm. interesting how they present this story. And, you know, watching it for the first time, you're unfolding everything as if you're Leonard, because you don't know what's yes. going on either. You're just like, okay, what, what's happening? Yeah. And forgive me if you already mentioned this, but you, you talked about the cast. And like you said, they're not nobodies, but I think... At the time that this film was made, I, I feel like this is Guy Pierce's first big role, right? Um, I mean, you know, he did have LA Confidential, but I guess Russell oh, Crowe Russell Crowe blew up more so than he did. But I know like there for a short period of time in the late nineties, early two thousands, like Guy Pierce was like, Oh, he's up and coming. He's coming. Like even rumors of him showing up in a Nolan Batman movie is either Harvey Dent or if he ever did Black Mask that he would show up, you know. Mm-hmm. What's kind of interesting about Guy Pierce is he's got those like, oh yeah, he was in uh, The Count of Monte Cristo the next year, mm-hmm. The Time Machine, which wasn't very good, but mm-hmm. um, he was good in it. I, I think what's interesting about him, well, a couple of things. I always felt like when I first saw him, he looks like a... He looks like a really skinny Brad Pitt, kind of. (laughs) He's got this, like, (laughs) leading man look to him. Like, he absolutely does. And yet he's never really become, like, the big star that you would almost expect him to be, especially with, like, all these opportunities he had. He's just never really done that. But he's kind of stayed more in the, like, indie sector in a lot of the stuff that he's done. And he's still got, like, an impressive body of work. But I don't know. I just... I expected after this movie for him to be a lot bigger than he actually became. Absolutely. But I think he has, um, he's got a little bit of that wire, wiry, weird energy, which works for this character. And I, I think an actor who is trying to be more in that zone, a little bit higher of a pedigree is Colin Farrell Mm -hmm. though. Cause I don't think Colin Farrell ever liked like, being like a leading man, he wanted to do all these weird character roles. And he's like, yeah, I'm handsome, but I'm really not like that kind of guy. I'm really weird. Yeah. And it's like almost like I don't want to say hard to buy, but like him and like Jake Gyllenhaal, they they pick all these very strange roles that you know, you're like, it's surprising because they've got these like leading man, good looks, but Guy Pierce, I think you're right. He has like an intensity to him. I forgot about LA confidential. Cause I, I don't know what it is, but like when he has the glasses and that hair, he looks like a different person. <laughs> like he looks so nerdy and like extreme in that, in that movie. Um, but Absolutely, he's got that ability yeah. to have, have like that weird look. Um, 
I, I agree. That's a really good assessment. We, we've also got um, Carrie Ann Moss and, and Joe uh, Pantoliano, who is, they were both in the matrix and yeah, she actually matrix. recommended him. Oh, that's, that that's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's a matrix reunion. You know, uh, if you want to talk about like maybe the four or five core movie posters that were probably on the film bros dorm wall, it would probably <laughs> be um, Memento, The Matrix, Fight Club, yes. Pulp Fiction, oh and maybe the, maybe the Sixth Sense, you know? Oh, shots fired. I I definitely <laughs> had a lot of those posters. I remember when this when this uh DVD came out, I had like the collector set. I also had the Fight Club one. I yeah. I mean, it's funny now because I've noticed like on TikTok, there's a lot of um specifically women on TikTok that are like, "Ugh, these annoying film bros shoving these films down our throats." And I'm kind of like, "Oh man, I grew up with these movies and I I thought they were great. I had no idea they had that connotation." So, I always cringe a little bit when I hear that, but you're absolutely right. It's it's definitely a like push up pushes up glasses. Have you seen this movie? kind of vibe um and and i i think the memento poster i i also had so well it's funny you mentioned the dvd i still have the um special edition (laughs) dvd of this where it had like all the case files and all the different words and you have to click on the word watch to start the dvd and it shows like so cool oh yeah yeah i and that's that's how I watched it because I haven't updated this on Blu-ray just because, yeah, it was one of these movies I was just obsessed with, and I really wish Nolan would get back to making like a tight two-hour thriller again. I mean, I know he's trying to get his Oscar, but I would like to see what he did with a smaller budget and a shorter time frame of a movie. But yeah, we got a Matrix reunion and. Carrie Ann Moss is great in this. Um, she is. As sort of a femme fatale, but sort of a, yeah. as a person that's helping Leonard on his journey, even though we see shades of like, she's also trying to use him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I had uh, going back to kind of what we talked about a little bit before too, I had read that like she recommended uh, the Joe Pen pantaliano uh, actor for the role of teddy and he's a perfect fit for teddy and it's just interesting that she was like hey this guy would be good for that and i agree like carrie ann moss honestly another name that for such a long time it was like you know because of the matrix you think oh my gosh her career is about to explode and it really didn't i feel like she's done a lot more lately but for a long time you kind of didn't see her anymore yeah, it's really weird. I don't know if, like, you know, it's just the nature of the business, especially towards women, or she was mm-hmm. having a family, or just wasn't yeah. picking the right projects, or didn't have a good agent. Because you would think, yeah. off the success of the three Matrix movies, and even this movie, that she would have had more of a career as a leading lady, and then, like, less than 10 years later she's playing Shia LaBeouf's mom in a movie you know yeah yeah it's like wow that's not she's not she's just got such a big presence I don't think of her 
as just being the mom. <laughs> you know, it's like it feels like they jump to that too quick. But yeah, so I mean, I feel like a few actors on this list are kind of it's kind of a character actor movie almost. Well, absolutely with the I'm just going to call him Joey Pants because that's what I've heard some people call him. Because <laughs> I, I want to say Pantaloon every time I say his last name. <laughs> well, because there's also the late character actor was his name, John Polito. So I don't want to like oh, okay. get their names mixed up. But I mean, like, absolutely is he perfect as Teddy. I mean, he is just he's a great character actor, but he's so mm-hmm. good at playing like these sleazy scuzzy guys that like there's something wrong with them but you're not sure but he also has like a good comedic presence as well because i guess most people probably recognize him from probably well either as cypher from the matrix or in the fugitive with tommy lee jones and harrison ford like but i mean he's just been in a a great amount of films playing usually some sort of scumbag or a cop who's a scumbag yeah i mean he's just got the look and like the mustache and like it's just perfect i mean in this movie he's kind of a a red herring but um he does it really well um yeah i you know i agree with what you said earlier about how i wish how you wish that christopher nolan would do these smaller films like as much as i mean Inception is probably my favorite movie of his. Mm-hmm. And I love The Dark Knight. I mean, come on. It's a great film. Yeah, I, I and mean. I like Tenet. I like, I like almost all his movies, but I just, he did this so well. And I get that it was out of like not having a big budget, but I, I think he's so good with like perspective and storytelling. And like the, I know people say like his movies are cold and distant and blah, blah, blah. But like, I think he does a really good job with characterization. So I just, I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. I wish he would do this again. Well, I'm always um, campaigning for big directors to go back to their roots. I'm still waiting mm-hmm. for Peter Jackson to make a, a big budget schlocky horror movie again. I don't know. <laughs> That's probably never going to happen, but I'd like to see that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I get like the Nolan complaints and I've had, a few more issues with some of his more recent films. I haven't been mm-hmm. as in love with them since inception, but I've yeah. enjoyed most of them. I, I really need to go back and revisit Tenet Cause I only watched that once. And well, it was such a weird time. I mean, I, I, I remember like because of COVID I personally, I, I was just like very stressed and like, I don't know, not really able to, digest it and then there was just a lot of you know we kind of are in an echo chamber on the internet and everybody was so negative about it that it kind of colored the view that I had of it in a way that I I just I didn't feel like I got to form an opinion on it that feels very on point and I I know a lot of people were negative because you know either they're just not into Nolan or his and I know a lot of people and me including I was very upset with him about demanding people go see this movie in the theater I was like you can wait and release your movie like in a year you know <laughs> yeah how it's could so- your movie be more important than like people's lives and i un- i understand like looking back you know 
we all have different opinions on that time. That's fine. And I'm not talking about that. But I mean, to be so extreme about it, like you have to go see it. I don't really side with him, to be honest, on a lot of those opinions anyway. Like, you have to watch my movie and like in in IMAX. And if you don't, then you're not like really enjoying my, you know, I just think that's nuts. And I'm sorry. I know his head would explode if he knew you're like watching it on an iPhone, but like, my opinion, you can watch a movie however you want, you know? Like yeah, I saw it's this your at home. time. I saw I saw this movie at home. Uh I think it was DVD. I'm pretty sure it was DVD Memento anyways. But yeah, I mean look, I love going to the movie theater and seeing movies, but I can't see everything. And like Christopher Nolan, buddy, our our TVs are way better than they used to be. So like, right, we have nice TVs and everything's presented in widescreen, and <laughs> we're not watching things in pan and scan anymore. So I mean, is it completely the theater experience? No, but also you're not having to go to the same movie theaters I'm having to go to where half the time <laughs> I got to tell the staff, Hey, can you turn the sound on? Or can you turn the picture oh my on? Gosh, I had that experience the other day. I saw a movie at like 10 30 AM. That was kind of my fault, but like 30 <laughs> minutes went by and it was just playing like newbie or whatever. And I went out there and I was like, Hey, um, is the movie going to start? And they were like, well, it's 30 minutes of commercials. And I'm like, you're gaslighting me. There is no way that you have 30 minutes of like real commercials. And then another like 30 minutes of trailers, like the movie will never start. And then they kind of just quietly played it. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, well I was already there. They they always tell me five minutes and me and my wife are like, that's how long it takes them to go up there. And like whatever they got to do now with, you know, the digital projectors, which I think is weird, right? Because yeah. you would think that makes projecting easier now, but I guess maybe people are less uh, attentive because all they got to do is push a button instead of, you know, what they did back in the day. But yeah, yeah, and he doesn't have to deal with noisy people or people who forget to turn their cell phone on silent or all the <laughs> other inconveniences sometimes that happens when you go to a movie theater. Unless right. you go to like an Alamo draft house or something. Yeah. Or a, one thing. Oh, go ahead. Or one of those like, uh, or you're in the Dallas area, like the Inwood or the Angelic or something. Something that's a little more, you know, tailor made for the theater experience, you know. But you're going Absolutely. to a multiplex. You're not always going to end up getting a great experience. I know it might not have any AC. We're in Texas, and that that tends to be a problem. You know, there's lots of things. Um, to your point about Tenet, though, I I enjoyed it, but the biggest complaint that I had was actually around the sound. I totally agree with a lot of people that like I'm- there are points in that movie where I'm like, I I don't know what's being said. I don't know what's going on. And it's it's like I get that he's going for realism, but it it was difficult to like follow and, sometimes i know that's been a complaint in a lot of his newer movies up from like mm-hmm. i think the dark knight rises on is like something's <laughs> wrong with the audio um nothing wrong with the audio memento i can hear everything perfectly 100 percent. 
and just the the transitions from when we go from following Leonard to cutting back to Leonard going through his routine or talking to someone on the phone or his rules of how he remembers things is really seamless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. When you made that comment about uh, the Dark Knight Rises, I always think of my friend Stephanie that said that she couldn't <laughs> couldn't understand Batman or um, <laughs> or Bane in that movie that Batman was like, rah, 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 and then <laughs> Bane was oh, like, rah, rah, rah. Uh, I, <laughs> I, like, I, I could stop laughing. I'm like, you're not wrong. Like <laughs> she's not wrong, but I am a hardcore defender of Tom Hardy's performance as Bane. I oh, just, I, I loved his performance. I, absolutely. I absolutely love that energy. And me too. I will just randomly talk in the Bane voice sometimes just for fun. <laughs> Drives my wife Are crazy. You not entertained. <laughs> So. Okay, back to Memento, though. I want to dig into this. Um, let's do it. Let's do it. So what do you want to talk about first? Are are there some favorite scenes that you wanted to touch on? or uh, A favorite scene? I mean, it's kind of hard to narrow down one favorite scene from this movie because mm -hmm. it's right. all... Yeah. I, I'm going to pick two. And okay. one is when um, uh, Dodd who I guess is an associate of Jimmy, who we later find out as the movie progresses, was uh, Carrie Ann Moss's, Natalie's boyfriend. Uh, and Leonard ends up taking his vehicle and clothes and stuff. And somehow she ropes Leonard into, because I guess Dodd is looking for money and questioning her. And mm -hmm. there's a scene where he's running and he's like, I'm chasing this guy. Nope. He's chasing me. <laughs> I just, yeah. I think, I think like <laughs> that, that there's that moment of humor, even through like this very tense and uh, exciting scene where he like might get killed. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good one. What was the, the second scene that you, uh, the second scene I like is, uh, when he's in, when he's at the motel and he forgot his key. And the oh, guy, Mark yeah. Boone Jr., is like, oh, this actually isn't your room. And he's like, what do you mean? That's my stuff. He's like, well, I got you in another room. I have two rooms? And he's like, well, I told my boss about your condition. And, you know, <laughs> business is slow. <laughs> That's so funny. I because, you know, because I don't think people believe him when he's telling them the, um, you know, his condition. Because people are like, what? you Are you you know you pulling me you're yanking my chain come on dude oh absolutely i what are the i forgot to say our, the quick facts I'm, I'm doing this out of order like memento but it, it's um, in spirit of the movie <laughs> we're all over um, the place i i read that the medical condition that he has in the movie is called like enterograde amnesia and it's the ability to the inability rather to in to form new memories after damage to your hippocampus so during the 1950s doctors treated forms of epilepsy by removing that and it resulted in memory problems i mean i'm sure it's like greatly exaggerated but just kind of an interesting thought oh wow but and go ahead no 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 you go ahead 
was gonna say I just love like the cadence of the inner monologuing mm-hmm. that Leonard has where it's like it's a little funny sometimes just hearing like his inner thoughts in the movie sometimes when he's like trying to collect where he is and what he's doing. Like he wakes up in the motel room and he's like he's holding that bottle of liquor. He's like, I don't feel drunk. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm just a sucker for a really good noir and this is just this is just what it is. It's a it's a really well done neo noir and like yeah. taking including take, the inner monologue, like you said. And taking that detective story and like making it, well, what if the detective doesn't even know how he's trying to solve the crime? Yeah, like I don't know that we've talked a lot yet about the way he remembers things by with all those notes and then his tattoos. But um go ahead. Yeah, is it's it's just, it's wild, isn't it, that he's got like all these random facts about his wife's case tattooed on him and these clues and then he like leaves little notes and tapes them to himself like to shave or whatever he needs to do yeah yeah and i think you know in the beginning of the movie you're going on this journey with him and you know you're feeling really bad for him and then there's a a turning point in the film where you start to doubt him. Right. Yeah. And I really like that about the movie is that he, like you said earlier, he's really good at like, I think playing like a character that's, you know, like you said, wiry and like different, a little off to where, you know, you're starting to think, well, wait a minute here. Like, is this real or is this a form of, self-deception like you know you start to wonder too yeah and you know as we learn what's going on we're like well is this whole sammy jenkins stuff just something he made up and like because you know you know when he confronts teddy teddy's like that's you that was your wife you know yeah like all this stuff you're like does he make these things up to make himself feel better like was he an insurance sales, you know, claimsman? Like, what's true? What's not true? Who can we trust? Who, you know, we don't know. As, yeah, as and, and a lot of things we never find out. Like, you you know, like, you just don't. Um, The insurance thing is interesting because that kind of reminds me of, uh, and I hadn't seen it when I saw this, but I think I think he's an insurance guy in double in indemnity. Yes, yes, he is. Right. Yeah, so I wonder yeah. if that was a nod to that film because, yeah, Fred McMurray's character is an insurance uh, investigator. That movie's great. Oh, it absolutely is great. I, I, I love that movie. Billy Wilder is one of my all-time favorite yeah. directors. Um, there's a diploma film where the beginning of the movie is just somebody getting ready to go somewhere and double indemnity is just showing on the tv i think it's femme fatale but uh yeah so i was like okay this movie's got me already just because they're watching double indemnity (laughs) yeah i it's it's really great i think that movie i i saw it and then right after i made like like a suit like an old 1950s suit because of the way that the the femme fatale in that one is dressed but oh nice 
But I yeah, think I remember. Like, I, <laughs> I think I remember Nolan referencing that film in an interview mm-hmm. with Elvis Mitchell around the time. Not surprised. Like, Memento came out. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure he loves the movie. But yeah, that whole insurance thing, and you got uh Stephen to what's his name to I'm saying his name all wrong. Toblowski, great character mm-hmm. actor as well as. Yes. Uh, sammy jenkins which is it's a really whether the story's true or not true it's a really touching and heartbreaking story though as a as a type one diabetic you do not inject yourself in the arm with insulin (laughs) like maybe people used to but like they recommend you do not because you're not going to get the insulin in your body even the story like with his wife i just I'm like, I just, I mean, I don't understand how that happens, <laughs> but it's, it's fine. Are you I talking mean, about the Sammy Jenkins spend... wife or Leonard's wife? Um, oh, good question. Uh, I don't know. Correct me. I, I, I okay. Well, if we're talking about the whole Sammy Jenkins wife thing, like just having him keep injecting her with insulin you can give yourself too much insulin and like lower your your blood sugar and put you into a coma yeah absolutely i just mean like forgetting and doing it i don't understand that because like both people would have to forget right he well i think she was just trying to prove that he wasn't faking right because the insurance claim said oh we don't we're not saying he's faking but his plan doesn't cover mental illness or mental oh that's right okay all right so they were and he told her i think he's capable of making new memories so Mm -hmm. that was her choice i guess and then I guess with the whole Leonard's story is like, you know, his wife is attacked, raped and murdered, and he wakes up to go see what happens and he's injured. And that's what causes the the condition he has, which I guess that big of a blow of a head could have an effect on you mentally. Mm-hmm. But, but then you know. he forgets and gives her too much because he got hit in the head, right? And so he's really responsible for her death. Yeah, if we believe what Teddy says is true, then she survived the attack and he can't remember anything but other than, oh, I have to help you with your injections because that was before the accident. And then right. that would make him yeah responsible for her death. Yeah, Which he... Which in his head, he already feels responsible anyways because he wasn't able to save her. Right. And it starts the trend of like (laughs) a complaint that people have about Nolan films that women are not very present. And they, but you know, I, I understand that, but I would argue that that's very fascinating and interesting about his movies. I don't see it the same way i guess i see it as like anyway go ahead yeah i I feel like like i would love to hear what emma thomas's wife thinks about all these dead wives (laughs) movies like Mm -hmm. it's like there's always a female in peril or that's like what's 
driving the protagonist in a Nolan movie is like either the death of a woman he loved or I have to save this woman because I guess well I guess it's set for Dunkirk because that's all that's all guys you know yeah but yeah but I mean at this time we didn't know it was going to be a trope in every uh, Nolan movie you know at mm-hmm. the time we we're just like okay that's a really cool story Really yeah, well. and I feel like it's perfected almost in or the concept in Inception with Maul. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's not my personal favorite Nolan film, but I was just having a conversation with someone where we're like, "Well, that is the movie where like everything comes together, like mm-hmm. for him as an auteur, and like is like the movie." the Christopher Nolan movie in a lot of ways. And what's interesting is uh, DiCaprio actually came up with that idea. I think originally it was just supposed to be a partner, but I think there's two great performances from, well, we know one of the actors is now trans, but at the time they were identified as a a female actor. I think those Mm -hmm. are two welly well-drawn characters as far as. Oh, I agree. Nolan goes and I think actually looking back at his movies I think a lot of the times the female actors do give good performances just maybe they don't have a lot to do they don't have the same agency like right Maul is almost a memory or like a she's like a ghost you know and I feel like in Memento you know his wife is like a ghost and there's something about that like concept of like a character's presence and aura like pervading the whole movie that like i just really like and so like i totally understand the criticism but at the same time i feel like if i were to write something i would have a character like that because i just find it so fascinating yeah it's really well done and also (laughs) maybe he doesn't know how to write women that well so that's how he (laughs) clearly (laughs) how he does it you know i mean you got to know your strengths and weaknesses i mean this is also why it's important we have more female filmmakers as well so we can get more female characters with more agencies in our stories Mm -hmm. you know but I'm not going to put all the blame on Christopher Nolan. There were lots of white dudes before him making lots of movies. So (laughs) I agree. And I, I also feel like, um, I don't know. I seem to like these kinds of projects. Um, like, you know, people, I, I never thought about it until people said, Oh, Christopher Nolan is like this cold detached filmmaker. And, I never thought of it that way. But then when I really explored that, I realized that a lot of the movies that I like are made by directors that are similar. And I don't know if maybe telling certain types of stories requires a bit of detachment and that's why. But like, you know, when I think of him, I, I also think of someone like Darren Aronofsky or mm-hmm. even uh, Villeneuve. Um mm-hmm. And I feel like there's they make similar types of films and you could make similar arguments about their characters. But I don't know. I don't know what that says about me. I just <laughs> seem to be drawn to those kinds of movies. So maybe I'm a cold, detached person. I don't know. <laughs> you could say the same about David Fincher as well. I mean. Oh, my gosh. I, I can't believe I forgot to say that. You're absolutely right. <laughs> but I mean, I think, you know, 
everybody has their strengths and weaknesses, but I think mm-hmm. for the the stories that interest Christopher Nolan and because, you know, we, we, we've kind of made fun about the dead wives, but, you know, what are other <laughs> things that kind of lure in in the oeuvre of his filmography? You know, there's always somebody obsessed, right? There's obsession. Yeah. There's always something dealing with time. There's usually some sort of case to unravel or yeah. solve. And I think a lot of times to kind of be that kind of character where you're trying to be objective and just try to whatever their goal is in the movie, maybe they need to be a little cold and detached. I'm not saying every movie has to be cold and detached because that would be really depressing. But Oh, absolutely. But they make compelling, you know, procedural thrillers. Mm-hmm. I think it's like the the level of detail. I mean, that's that's what's similar to about like Fincher and and uh, and Nolan is like there's just so much detail in their movies that you really have to pay attention. But it's just so well executed, like you said. Absolutely, I think they're both perfectionist. But I've mm-hmm. never heard anyone talk like bad about how they are on oh, the I set. Agree. Like, yeah. so they're so maybe they are very influenced in this kind of Kubrickian approach, but they definitely don't have that uh, have that personality. I guess. I guess they're yeah. a little more. They're at least a little more professional or human towards their cast and crew. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Um, what what else stands out to you about this film? Oh my goodness! Uh, I mean, you know, it's just this is just so cleverly well done. I don't know if you know. There's probably somebody listening that knows another movie sort of like this, but I don't know any other movie like this. I think it's unique, and I think that's what you know, gravitated so many of us to Christopher Nolan, to this movie, why we were so obsessed, why we were like, I got to see everything this guy does. You know, something I didn't notice until this most recent watch, because I hadn't watched this in quite a long time. For whatever reason, this had kind of got out of my, you know, rewatches in a while, because, you know, in the early 2000s, I probably watched this, close to 10 to 12 times and probably oh, yeah same like an embarrassing amount like i i really loved it i but, i remember leaving the theater and thinking like the movie ended and i thought i wish i could watch that again right now like that's how much i liked it yeah i think the night i rented it and watched it i was like well i want to watch it again or i want to watch it yeah backwards <laughs> right yeah, yeah. But something I didn't notice, and it's also in the following, is um, there's a scene where Leonard gets in the car and is driving away. But if you notice, there's a store he passes. And I could be wrong, but it looks like it has, like, superhero symbols on the window. And I could have sworn mm-hmm. I saw, like, the bat symbol on the window of, like, this store or something. Because I remember when I heard he was doing a Batman movie, I'm like, well, of course he's doing a Batman movie. I mean, 
it's a detective story and he did memento good observation so i was like i don't think i thought of that but i i remember loving this movie and so i thought wow that's that's that says something about the direction this new batman is gonna go because they pick this kind of director well i think he went in to pitch a different movie or just hear like the projects they were going to offer him and he just decided to pitch them and they were like okay why not I mean you can't do a worse job than the last one we did (laughs) yeah I mean you know I, I, I just those are the kinds of movies that I like as I've said before so his his the first two Batman, I'm I'm not as big of a defender of the third one as you are. I'll be honest. I like the first two a lot, but mm-hmm. I like his style of directing and the and what he brings to Batman. And I think that movie and then the latest one um, by Matt Reeves really show the character in a light that resonates with me. I mean, I remember even when they casted Christian Bale as Batman. I remember we did like a marathon of watching a bunch of Christian Bale movies to kind of like prepare for when that movie came out and saw a lot of movies for the first time um, at a friend's house around that film. Uh, yeah. I think that's the only time the internet wasn't angry who was cast as Batman too. <laughs> yeah. I think they were mad about his hair. I remember oh, that. It was kind of uh, like, there's James always Bond. something isn't there. There's <laughs> always something someone's perturbed about. It's like, just wait till the movie comes out. Okay. And then if you don't like yeah. it, fine. You didn't like it, but you know, calm down, yeah, which, wait. which is why I kind of like these under the radar movies. Cause we didn't know anything about it till it came out. And like you said, you just saw it in the theater, had no idea what you were watching. And I mean, that, that had to be an amazing experience because I at least knew like the kind of gimmick with this movie and the plot. But I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't know anything other than that. But still, like, yeah, this had to be an amazing film to go into completely blind and then just be like, what is going on in this movie? And it deservedly got an Oscar nomination for best original screenplay. I do not think it won. I think Gosford Park won, which is a great mm. screenplay as well. But you know, the wrong long road for Christopher Nolan in the Oscars, and you know he, he's going to make as many three-hour epics he can till they give him one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I I love Dunkirk. Um, I forgot to say that earlier. I love that movie too. I like all I, the. I, you know, it's hard. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I enjoy Dunkirk. I admire Dunkirk. But honestly, I can't tell you who any of those British boys are except for the famous <laughs> actors. At the time, I had no idea what Harry Styles looked like. So I'm like, well, which one of these oh, guys really? is Harry Styles? I don't know. Is he the guy trying to poop at the beginning of the movie? Is he a different guy? I don't know. But. It's a well-made movie. I like it quite a bit, but the reason I like this movie more is because I know who the characters are. I know what they're doing. I can follow what's going on. But Dunkirk... Yeah, it's a smaller story. I mean, it's... And it's more personal. That that also might be why I like it, because my favorite Nolan film is The the Prestige. Oh my gosh, The Prestige is so freaking good. Such a good movie. So weird. So di- I don't know. So good. 
Um, you know, I haven't said like a specific scene that I like the most. Um, and I think some of that is because I feel like a lot of what I like about it is also in the aesthetics of it. Um, mm-hmm. I love, um, I always think about how, you know, I really like the movie Blade Runner and I think, um, what's it called? Uh, the, uh, honest trailers made like an honest trailer about it. And, and they, they highlight how he like watch as he looks at photographs and they, <laughs> and he's like looking at all these photographs and then they go, Oh, what a masterpiece. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, I know, but I love that. So I think I- like the Polaroids that he looks at with like all the blood and, mm-hmm stuff like that there's there's also a scene like the the photograph of teddy um and then like the the scene with the glasses and all the blood i just i don't know it's like those visuals are really appealing to me um they're very like pop you know esque i i have a confession to make i is something nerdy about me. I love doing research. You know, when most people are like, oh, I got to do a research paper. I actually enjoy <laughs> doing those papers because I liked going to the library and like getting my sources and looking information up. I mean, when it was about something I wanted to write a paper on, you know, like a lot yeah. of the film classes I took. So I'm a sucker for any movie where it deals with people like, researching and doing things like it's not just cop and detective stories i also love like journalism movies where they're like trying to Mm -hmm. figure things out like give me a movie where people are in a room in a dark room looking at things or on the phone with people like you gotta tell me where is it i gotta find (laughs) yeah i'm like this is my jam that's why zodiac's my favorite fincher film also is like Mm -hmm. it's just yeah, it just hits a nerve, and Nolan does that, and especially with this movie. And it is hard to pick a scene, like you said, just because of the aesthetics and also just the nature of the movie, because one scene goes, mm-hmm. you know, when one scene ends, that's how the next scene begins, you know? And right, then we, right. We, and we get little snippets of his day each time, and we get to hear certain lines of dialogue or see a scene again and maybe it's from a different perspective maybe it's not we don't know because we're just as confused as leonard the first time we watch this and honestly maybe i'm just as confused the 20th time i watch it you know yeah or it's just that movie and i don't need to know everything that happens of what's true and what's not true i can just enjoy the ride yeah exactly and I I like what you said about like how you like research. I feel like, you know, I'm not good at like a trivia night. I'm not the best at like even like traditional puzzles or games, but I agree with that. I really, I, for whatever reason, I like all the little details and like uncovering or discovering things. And I think I just have a fantasy about, you know, when I'm older and retired, like, joining some little i know that like there are these little research groups that help investigations just by pouring over details and i'm like super dorky um of me i guess but i i feel like oh you know being able to do that and like actually do something good for people like that would be right up my alley and i do think it's why i'm so excited by these things and i also like a protagonist who's not like a huge big dramatic presence but is like this very subtle still 
quiet looking at stuff kind of person and how you could still make that sort of protagonist so interesting I just am really drawn to so I think that's why I like noir because a lot of times their personalities do tend to be like more I don't know like straight man ish and well, more reserved sometimes I mean right. you've got Humphrey Bogarts obviously but you know what I mean <laughs> yeah but even with your you know even though like Humphrey Bogart was considered like the epitome of masculinity at the time. I mean, there's something a little different about him, right? There's something a little not traditional. He doesn't fit into the societal norms of what a male should be. And like they're private eyes. They're not police officers. Yes. Like they're, they're usually good people, but they tote the line on like, are they really a good person or are they just a like reality? We're all shades of gray, right? No one's like a hundred percent good. No one's a hundred percent evil. And it's like, are our actions good that we're doing? Are we trying to do the right thing? And that's usually what these protagonists are. They're like, whether I think in Leonard's mind, it's just in his mind that he's trying to do the right thing. Cause right. Maybe he's right. Maybe he's already solved the case, but he can't remember. So he keeps trying to find another mystery murderer person to find. Yeah, you're right. They're they're very like outsider loner Mm -hmm. type characters that are, that appear not that complex but the more you get to know them they're multifaceted and they live in this like dark real world and i think that's why it's so easy to like reinvent the noir genre in some under so many different lenses because i think you just put it in a different time or a different place like you know it works in the 40s and the 50s but it works in the future and it works, you know, in the two thousands, like it kind of works at every, every time, but that sort of urban dark cynic, uh, I guess cynical view of reality is just, I don't know. Why do I like that so much? I just do. <laughs> I don't know. I'm right there with you. Uh, it's my jam. And I mean, you give me anybody inner monologuing. I'm, I'm there. I mean, that's why I, I still, love the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies the most is because yeah. they have the inner monologuing of the characters. Yeah. So and he's a journalist, you know. Exactly. So there's that exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's that appeal too, yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything about this movie that we have not touched on yet? I feel bad. Like I mean, sometimes when you talk about some of your favorite films, it's like Oh no, am I going to forget to talk about something? You know, I, I like this so much, but it, it can be hard to, to summarize everything you love about it in, a, I, you know, in one sitting. I've seen this movie so many times, but I think this is the first time I realized that the Reno 911 guy was the guy giving uh, Sammy Jenkins the, uh, the memory test where they shock him. On- <laughs> Because he's also like, I think he pops up in The Dark Knight Rises as well as the doctor who tells mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne he can't go hella skiing. But I don't, well, I think because when I saw it in 2001, 2002, I didn't, I don't even know. I never really watched Reno 911. I just remember the commercials. But uh, but that's just yeah. one of the things I noticed. Um, 
but as far as things we didn't talk about, I'm, I mean, I'm sure there's something we're not talking yeah. about. There's always something, but I mean, you know, we talked about, you know, Nolan and all the things that are in Nolan's films. We talked about the performances, mm-hmm. the execution, you know, yeah. the camera work. What about the music? Um, is there anything about the score that I, I don't think that this is like as strong musically as like some of his other films right no it doesn't doesn't have that loud bombasting Hans Zimmer score (laughs) um it's very haunting though yeah no they had it's very haunting and like even just the scenes uh like the scene where he hires the prostitute to just reenact like his last memory of his wife and like, Oh, just lay these things around the house, like, or the room, like they're yours. Like that's gotta be like, you know, I know they deal with weirdos and it's a dangerous job, but that's gotta be like one of the weirdest call a call girls ever gotten is like, yeah, just wait till I fall asleep and slam the door and, you know, play with these items I have, but don't really play with them. Yeah, the music was done by uh, David David Julian, and it looks like he also did the Prestige. Oh, that makes I sense. Think, yeah, yeah. The music kind of stands out, maybe a little bit more in that movie, but I think yeah. it does. I think it does. Yeah. Um, I think this is the first time he works with Wally Pfister too as the cinematographer, mm-hmm. which it is an incredibly shot film, and I wish he would get back to shooting movies i don't know if he's still trying to direct or not mm. yeah well i guess you know this kind of brings me to my last couple of questions i always ask but um you know what about this movie keeps you coming back to it i, I mean it's the very nature of the movie right it's yeah it's like Nolan wants us to keep watching this movie, right? He <laughs> he probably would love to hear somebody saw this movie like multiple times in the theater just because, you know, to wrap their head around it. I mean, I it's not a confusing movie, really, though. No, like, no, I, it's not like super deep, but it's compelling and interesting, and 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 it does take make you pay attention. Yeah, it's a movie you shouldn't really be if you especially if you've never seen it before. This is not a movie you can casually watch while you're uh scrolling on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram at the same time. You know, this movie demands your attention and I think most of Nolan's movies demand your attention and you know, it is hard. That is one thing that is hard when you're watching a movie at home. You know, a lot of times, unless you're one of those very disciplined people, it's like, I'm going to turn my phone off or I'm going to put it in a place where I won't hear the notifications. Yeah. But this. Yeah, is that's the- that's where Nolan's right, I guess. You know, <laughs> like it, we are we live in a pretty distracted world and in his films, really, you need to pay attention to. And yeah, and if you're in a movie theater, you're there for the two, three hours that that movie's going. I mean. I mean, you can be rude and pull your phone out, but if you're really (laughs) invested in what's going on, you're not going to do it. And this is a movie, if you get locked in, you're locked in from beginning to end. And really, if you haven't seen this movie and you wonder why people, why the Nolan bros are so live or die for him, it's this movie. It's it's what it is. 
I mean, I know most people would say their favorite's The Dark Knight or Inception, but this is the movie that hooked them to go see those other ones. 100%. And, you know, if if my husband were on the on the call, he would be like, well, we know why Lisa likes it, because <laughs> there's a mystery, it's gritty, it's you know forensic like that's just the kind of stuff lisa likes and then also the thriller aspect of it you know um it, it's definitely what made me an instant fan like i said of this director and his work and he's um, he's one of the few filmmakers of the 21st century that that kind of i know following came out in 98 but really he came out with this movie and he's one of the few like certified tours of the 21st century mm-hmm. that didn't make a movie prior to the year 2000 and yeah. you know a lot of people like we said that he's cold and detached but there are elements of humor in this movie that i've pointed out yeah. there is like a sense of humor in this and there is sometimes sense of humor in his movies you, you just have to pay attention and it's there it's like he he can be lighthearted in, in in some scenes. It's just mm-hmm. the over general of the plot can overbear yeah. you sometimes. For sure. How how would you describe this to someone that maybe hasn't seen this movie before? Like, what would your pitch be? I would say, would you like to see a detective story, but the detective doesn't know what's going on from scene to scene, and they're going to show you the movie backwards yeah that would cook me right there (laughs) right because someone be like the movie's backwards i've never okay yeah yeah i think that's what hooked me initially when i heard about it i was like Mm -hmm. oh that's interesting i i agree well cody um before you go can you tell us where to listen to your podcast and you know how to how to find you Okay, so most of the time we do live streams. I usually post the videos on our YouTube page. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. So sometimes our weekly show is on there with Chris and I and sometimes Nick. Uh, I believe uh, Sunday evening we're going to be doing our birthday picks because Chris and I's birthdays are like a day apart. So we're going to talk. Oh, well, happy early birthday. Thank you. So we're going to be talking Close Encounters of the Third Kind and The Prestige. Um, I've also started a new thing called, well, it's not really new, but it's got its own little Facebook page now called The Director's Chair. Mm. And our our first season, we're doing David Lynch. And right now, a fellow guest on this show, Colin Smith, and another host, uh, Kevin Polly. They've been guests on my show. We're going through Twin Peaks, you know, another nice. cold, detached um, <laughs> investigation pattern. I sense a pattern too, but uh, I mean, at least there's a lot more to unlock on that. But yeah, we're right mm-hmm. now. We're going through Twin Peaks, and then we'll do his filmography after that. Nice. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Cody. It's always a pleasure, and you know, really enjoyed this conversation. And I look forward to having you back soon. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll try to find something a little more lighthearted or, (laughs) you know. You'll get no pressure from me. You know, I like these types of movies. So either way is good with me. 
Uh, I just will have to see where the mood uh, strikes me at that time. Sounds good. 